Okay, today's podcast, we start with Yudoka Open. He's been spending the year. There has to be more that we don't know. We'll talk about it. We're going to talk some NFL, including Jalen Hurts. Big step up to the start of this season. We'll talk to some quarterbacks and also everybody loves the Bills with Shil Kapadia. And a guy I got to see very recently in New York City. He's been a comedian I've loved for years. It's Colin Quinn. Some SNL Day stuff, kind of where he's at now. He's got a new show out too, which I can't wait to check out. So, and life advice and our red hot picks. So enjoy Friday, folks. It's the Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older. 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I've thought about this open uh, on the Boston Celtics and Ime Adoka suspension. I've thought about this quite a bit. Uh, just like a lot of you on Wednesday night late, you're like, wait, what's going on? Woj announcing that he would be suspended uh, for conduct for one season from the Boston Celtics, but it was vague. We didn't know what it meant. Um, then as things started kind of being pieced together, it was an inappropriate relationship. And then it was an inappropriate relationship with a team employee. There was a bunch of different speculation on who the employees could potentially be, which absolutely sucks, uh, for everybody, uh, that's female that's involved with the Celtics. Um, but at the same time too, I don't know, I don't know the perfect way to handle this because I've seen a lot of criticism and I'm not saying the criticism is inaccurate, but I also think it's a bit of a, well, you should, after the thing that is done is done, it's, well, it should have been done this way. It should have been done this way. And we're like, okay, um, they couldn't just fire Ime Adoka. Maybe they don't want to. Uh, I don't know what his future is. But we're going to get into that here in this open too as well. Uh, but if they just fired him for no reason in September, then guess what's going to happen? People are going to speculate. They're going to ask questions. That's the way it works. Um, if you were to have Ime Adoka suspended, but then also immediately name the female that's involved in this. I don't know that was going to go over all that great either. Um, when I listened to Wick Grosbeck, the owner of the Celtics talk this morning, there was something that was brought to their attention uh, right after the NBA finals sometime in July. Uh, we didn't get a specific date. I don't think that that's super relevant. Uh, the fact that this investigation has been going on with an independent law firm since July and it wasn't leaked, uh, that actually surprises me. So things get leaked. It sucks. It sucks for every female employee that's involved with the Celtics, but it's unfortunately kind of the way things work. And uh, if you have a better plan, then you should be in PR crisis because this is a really odd situation because it's so unprecedented. Because you're sitting there going, what could he have done that was bad enough for him to be suspended for a year, but he's still going to keep his job? So, you know, like, like anyone else, your head starts 
going through all these different scenarios. Like, okay, well, he couldn't have done anything that was beyond a certain line or he'd just straight up be fired and they'd be done with him and it would have been some kind of protocol and they wouldn't even be on the hook for the rest of his money. Um, he's not going to resign because he's probably going to figure out, well, is there a way I can still get my money? And I think that's where the Celtics were like, if this isn't fireable, but it might be after the year is up, does that prevent us having to deal with any kind of lawsuit for um, any firing that was unfair? Because if it was a consensual relationship, which is how it's being reported, a consensual relationship between the head coach of the Boston Celtics and a team employee, then what can really be done? Because stuff like this actually happens. So this entire time, I'm left with constantly asking, is there more? There has to be more. And why would they want him around if they're so upset with him to do this? Now, there's, there's one version of events here where it's like, well, maybe they're just totally unfair. What? Does the Celtics, like, they shouldn't have done this. They shouldn't have suspended a coach for having an improper relationship because this shit happens all the time. Okay, but let's, let's ask ourselves this question. Are the Celtics just idiots? Would they, with a team that just lost the NBA Finals, it looks like a terrific young head coach. Uh, I'm a Yudoka fan as a coach. I really, really became a big fan of his this season as far as a basketball coach. I'm thinking, would they go, hey, you know what? Let's screw up our team plans here by excessively punishing a coach here for something that just sort of happens all the time. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. And as Wick Rosbeck pointed out numerous times, like we are dealing with something that is somewhat unprecedented. So, I know there's been a bunch of theories uh, online, a bunch of different things, and a lot of the theories have been wrong, but it keeps me getting back to asking the question over and over again, what could have happened here for the Celtics to hand out this kind of punishment, and yet we don't really know what happened? And that just, I'm just going to let my gut guide me here, and that I think he may have fucked up, man. I think he fucked up. Not so much that he immediately is fired, but enough that it's like, no, 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 no. You're not, this isn't just going to be a conversation here. Like, you, you crossed the line. Now, I remember being younger and thinking about, uh, you know, whatever, however your family grew up. I think a lot of us are probably the same here. Is you kind of think your family's the only family with its flaws and everybody else is perfect. You know, the crate and barrel family. Like, hey, they've got napkins outside for just afternoon snacks. That's cloth napkins and their lemonade pitchers always full. Like what the hell's going on? That's awesome. I want that. And then you realize everybody's got their problems. Uh, then, you know, you get older and maybe you get married and you realize how, how tough that is. And then you'll hear stories about the neighbors. You're like, Oh, I thought they were so happy. Right. Or maybe you have a friend that gets involved in something and you're like, Hey, what are you doing? And then the friend's like, well, you know, things haven't been great. I'm thinking about moving out or, you know, the woman I'm talking to or, you know, all these different, all these different scenarios that you run through your head where when you're a little kid, you're like, ah, oh, man, that'll never happen. This is real life. This is stuff that happens. So we don't know all the details of why uh, Ime would put himself in this situation and why he would do it with a female team employee. But I think a lot of us that have, that have been through any life experiences understand that these things aren't always cut and dried. There's other people that are out there misrepresenting what's going on with a relationship or not having. And then you have the athlete part of it, okay? This is some, not all, but some. I've always felt this, that the athletes are desensitized. Not all athletes, but a lot of athletes are fairly desensitized to what it means to have to be in a relationship. Not that the rest of us don't fuck around and screw up or make mistakes, but when you're around it constantly as an athlete, and I can just, you know, I'll share a couple of stories. Like I remember talking to one guy uh, who played in the league for a long time 
and I became close enough with enough guys through all the ESPN years. And I would ask about like, well, how, how well, how does this work? Like, how, how would this work? And I'd be like, well, you have your wife and then you have your girlfriend. I'm like, okay. Like, is it known? Do some of the, the wives just kind of know the deal? And it's like, well, some do, some don't. Um, but the girlfriend part of it, like, there's not really any rules. I'm like, well, what do you mean by no rules? It's like, well, if you're not married to the girlfriend, then that means your teammate can try to get with her. She wants to get with your teammate. I was like, wait, that's fucked up. He's like, well, you're already doing something wrong. So why do you have the right to have a moral standard about what your teammates can? I'm like, this is so screwed up. Like, doesn't this start a ton of problems? And he was like, yeah, a ton of problems. <laughs> and I'm like, well, the, that doesn't seem to be that much fun. Uh, you know, other stories about ticket guys having to make sure that they're placing the girlfriend in a section that's away from where the wives are or girlfriends. You know, I think there's a real desensitization of it doesn't mean you're not in love. It doesn't mean you want to say or do all the right things. It just means you're on the road a little bit. And it means that you're operating with a different set of rules. And when you're a, a male or female in a position of power, uh, people desire you, whether it's money, fame. Um, you know, think about some of the things you've heard at your own workplace over the years where you're like, wait, what's going on? And you're like, why would that happen? And you're like, ah, you know, that person's got the corner office. You know, weird shit happens. So in that sense, none of this is that different. But there are certain clues. There are certain clues through the, the reports that I've read, through the press conference. Like even Woj was on first take and he kind of passively kind of threw a quote, maybe there will be more. Um, I think, I think, Wick was even vague. Like, think about this. They are being very uns... Everything is being, at least by the standards of, of the news outlets and the TV shows and the press conferences, they are being incredibly vague about what the actual act was and who it was with. And I think there's a reason there. I think that's the clue. Right? Are they being vague because they're just dicks are there being are they being vague about it all because they just decided in september before the season gets started to just make things more difficult and be mean to ime yudoka or is there another layer to this but again not in that category where there's no coming back from but in the category of a line was crossed and this is the punishment And no further questions. Football season is underway, so now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because right now new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's free bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just sign up with promo code R-Y-E-N. At the beginning of every life advice on Fridays, we give you out all of our picks. Uh, the numbers have been pretty good so far. We all have our methods, our theories, so you can check those out on every Friday podcast. And FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. You can combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. 
With live betting, you'll get updated odds on games that have already started. The app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. And when you win, you get paid fast. So sign up today with promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N, for your no-sweat first bet. Make every moment more this season with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Must be 21 and older in select states. First online real money wager only. Refund issued is non-withdrawable. Free bets that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Shil Kapadia joins us. Uh, always happy. I just like saying he's from the ringer now, which uh, makes a lot of sense. His Philly special pod is out. Uh, they tape it Sunday nights. Uh, it coming out Monday, then on Thursdays. Let's start with uh, what was pretty special about Philadelphia's offense. Jalen Hurts, that second game against the Vikings. They put up a ton of points against Detroit as well. Uh, I know that we've talked about this a lot. Let me just get your your impressions from him two weeks into another year as him as a starter. Well, whenever I had the Jalen Hurts conversation over the last couple of years, always in the back of my head, it was like, well, what is his ceiling? What's mm-hmm. the best version of Jalen Hurts look like? And I always had doubt, like, is it going to be a guy who can play with Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and Herbert and whoever else you want to name here? Monday night was a version of Jalen Hurts that I didn't know existed. I mean, the way he threw the football from the pocket, outside the pocket, his decision-making, his confidence, like, I thought in that game, he attempted throws that last year. He's not even attempting. He's just taking off and running for six or seven yards. So uh, I don't want to put too much into one game, and I'm not going to tell you it's going to happen every week. But that version of Jalen Hurts should have Eagles fans excited and has me reconsidering, all right, what what is his ceiling kind of going forward? The reason I always wondered about the ceiling was, you know, look, I, I'd watched him uh, clearly at Bama because I like college football so much, which I still think is this weird kind of like, Pickens, the receiver for Pittsburgh, is a perfect example of this weird college football divide where the people who love the NFL and like think that liking college football is stupid be like, oh, man, this Pickens. Like, and it's like, yeah, but all of us, like, it wasn't the smoothest sailing at Georgia, man. It wasn't yes. the smooth, that, there's a reason why other teams were like, we know how talented he is, but we're yeah. not all the way in on that. So hopefully it all works out. It works out for Pickens, but it's that just every time Pickens makes a play and he was, you know, he had that unreal catch um, against Cleveland. It's just kind of this funny thing where it's like, oh man, everybody's really stupid. Like I started watching this guy a week ago and you guys that know the whole backstory, like I'm not going to listen to anything that has to do with college. So anyway, I don't know if you had more on that, but I'm just ranting a bit. Yeah, so. no, it, it's not, it's not even just like analysts, like the NFL, it, it's just, there's so, there's such an arrogance about the NFL. Like every draft season, oh, this guy only ran, you know, uh, a limited route tree or, oh my God, this guy never took snaps under center. And it's like, dude, you are an NFL coach. Your job is to coach the player and help him do things he didn't do. And yeah, they, they just come at it. And it's like, you know, you are not the 32 best coaches in the world, the 32 coaches who coach in the NFL. Like there's a lot that goes into it, uh, politics and ego and everything else. So I'm with you there. Yes, I always try to uh, check myself. I, I love college football. I kind of just follow that uh, as a fan and sit here on the couch Saturday and don't write about it. But yeah, I, I'm with you there. Not everybody is stupid uh, just because a guy looks looks that talented. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we're we're on the same side there. And I guess the, <laughs> the big thing with Hurts, like a lot of college QBs and why I wondered where his ceiling was as an NFL starter was I felt like it was a lot of one read and then to, then run. And uh, week one, I think there was a number that came out of design dropbacks on passes. He pulled it down like over 20% of those dropbacks, which is the highest rate in the NFL. I don't know what it was because he didn't need to do it because everyone was wide open. It's the best game I've seen from him. It makes you go, you know, all right, it's it's one game here. What? How much did Minnesota's defense on the receivers? What did that have to do with it? But there just it just felt like there was a command from him 
Uh, so this is this is something now where usually I think year one, year two, we have a good read on who the younger QBs are going to be. And granted, for him, this is only a second year as a starter, so we should all have a completely open mind about it. But that that felt different. Um, and I'm with you. I, it, it just felt different in a way of like, wait, do I have to kind of read? Because I think we've all been operating as if the idea is that he's eventually just going to be replaced. And yes. that's probably unfair. Well, by, by the way, the team was sort of operating under yeah. that same premise. Honestly, I mean, you know, you can even look at last offseason after he had his full season as a starter. You say, hey, they went nine and eight. They exceeded expectations. They went to the playoffs. But uh, the organization didn't have its eyes closed to quarterbacks who were available last offseason, whether it was the Russell Wilsons or the Deshaun Watsons. You know, it, it was more of a case of like those guys weren't in play for the Eagles than the Eagles weren't in play for those guys, if that makes sense. So I, I think definitely the organization, and they traded a pick, right, to get the extra first rounder this year. Like they had their eye on the future. Basically, let's give him another year. If he surprises us, great. If he doesn't, we've got a great roster around whoever's playing quarterback and we can make a move after the season. And I'll even go back to when they drafted Jalen Hurts. I mean, now there's this narrative that, oh, they saw something, you know, they just wanted to take another shot on a quarterback. I mean, I can tell you definitively that that pick was about getting a backup quarterback on a cheap contract for Carson Wentz. It was not about finding a starter if things go poorly for Carson Wentz. I mean, I there'll be some revisionist history. There always is with this kind of stuff, but that was their reasoning for making that move. And even after Wentz, you know, cratered in 2020, they weren't like, okay, let's hand the keys to Hertz. Like their preference was to keep Wentz with a new coaching staff and run it back. Wentz wanted out. And so they made the, don't get me wrong, they made the best of a bad situation, traded him, got compensation for him. But now there will be all these sort of wrinkles that, oh yeah, they, they saw this coming all along where what you just said is really how the organization, um, I believe, has felt also. Yeah, I love that stuff. I mean, the teams that always want credit for telling you after the fact, the guy they didn't draft, they had a lot of interest in. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like Peyton recently on the Patrick <laughs> Mahomes, he goes, you know, we actually, I mean, it happens in the yeah. NBA all the time. It's like, well, you know, had we, had we done this? It's even like the Lamar Jackson thing. Baltimore, I think had three chances to draft him before they actually drafted him. So, yes. you know, you pulled it off, but your evaluation isn't nearly as high as you were selling it to people after the fact, because if it was that high and he was still at that point, and we're talking the second half of the first round and they kept trading out of their pick. And then they took a tight they end. They took Hayden Hurst. Yeah, they took right. Hayden Hurst over. Like, like looking back, you would be like, "What is what is going on there?" Yeah. So I'm I, I'm absolutely with you. <laughs> okay. Um, does it does it turn out that because I was thinking about Wentz the other day, and I was you know he had a couple of those Wentz plays, and it's also an easy thing to fall for when you look at his overall stat line. And I I brought this up earlier in the podcast. If you looked at his stat line, just the stat line, if you didn't even put Wentz next to it and saw his stat line for 21, you'd go, hey, that's a pretty good quarterback, right? Yeah. It's pretty good. Takes care of the football. Um, But the monumental mistakes that he has and the fact that Indy had him with those stats without much of a plan, the Matt Ryan part of this hasn't been great. I don't know if there's a ton of help around him. Um, Now that you're so plugged into the Philly thing. Do you have people that are more willing to share the Wentz part of this, the personality part of it? Because there were rumblings, but it feels like if he was at Indy for a year and they were like, get this guy out of here. Uh, you know, I'm starting to believe more theories is my point. Yeah, I, I don't think that it's necessarily that he's a bad guy or that it's like, oh my gosh, this guy was a disaster. We hate this guy. I mean, I, I just think if you look at his career and you're absolutely right, I mean, I don't know that there's a bigger divide between a guy's stats 
and actually his performance when you watch him play than Carson Wentz. I mean, if you look at his career, four out of the last five years, statistically, he's like a top 15, top 20 starter, which you would watch him and go, no way. Like I've seen this guy make too many mistakes. He is a back end starter. The numbers would say differently. I I think just personality wise, I think he's never shown an accountability, a willingness to correct his mistakes. I mean, the issues he has now are the issues he had three years ago. And that's, you know, ball security, that's presence in the pocket, that's making the layups with his mechanics on those short and intermediate throws. And then, like you said, He'll unleash a couple bombs a game where you go, okay, I could see how you could get enamored by this guy because that arm is live and he can chuck it downfield and he can get you back in the game in a hurry. So he had those injuries early in his career. I mean, if you remember 2017, before he got injured, he was a guy who could make plays outside the structure of the offense and break the pocket and make those second reaction plays. He still tries to make those plays. But physically, he's not the same guy. And so now he's running into offensive linemen. He's taking safeties. He's taking intentional grounding penalties. So, um, you know, performance-wise, he's probably like a an okay star. I would say around like the 20th best starter in the NFL. But I always fear that when a guy hasn't shown that ability to improve kind of those fatal flaws that he's always had, then what are you sort of doing here with him? The Eagles are good then. It, it appears that the Eagles are good. And it appears that, they prioritize with a young quarterback, making sure they get some guys that can get some separation. I mean, that's all Devontae did in college. Like he was just yeah. open. He was, I thought he was the best route runner out of the more heralded physical players that were his teammates. And then you bring in AJ, who's a complete difference maker. Uh, this is, I mean, they have really good skill players. And it just, uh, people think I'm a Pats fan. I'm not. I just look at some of the positional spending and I go, okay, if you add it up, because I was kind of going, hey, well, if the Pats don't spend money on this, they don't spend money on this. Because the Patriots actually have, I believe, um, if you look at their quarterback salary, you know, they're at $6 million total for that position, right? Uh, and I'm like, okay, well, they don't spend here. They don't spend there. They don't spend on running backs. They shouldn't spend on running backs. And I was like, they don't spend on wide receiver. And then I was like, wait, let me check up their positional spending. They spend the third most on wide receivers. The Patriots do. So yeah. if, you're, if you're an Eagles fan, and granted the Smith – the Smith contract allows you to work this. And some of these numbers can be moved around a little bit. Or if you're any of these young quarterbacks, you're like, okay, the quarterback number is nothing on the cap. Why can't you spend it? New England, their wide receiver and tight end spending this year, I'd argue, I think is number one, the most that's spent in the NFL. That's worse than actually not spending based on what that roster is. Like you're, Because at first I'm going, oh man, they don't have, they're not giving Mac Jones any help. Look what the Eagles are doing. Look what Miami's doing on the Tua contract. Like, look what these other teams are doing going, we have the first-round contract of quarterback. This is a gift from heaven for those three or four years, really more three, but let's spend it somewhere else. And I'll watch a Pats game going, well, who are they spending it on? And then I realize, oh, my God, their cap hit combined for tight end wide receiver, arguably, again, the cap, average annual salary, money spent out. It's a massive number is my point, however much you want to move the decimal points around. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was not to be like, oh, everyone saw this coming because we all get stuff wrong. But when they were spending twelve and a half million on Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry, twenty five million a year on those two players. I mean, I I was making the joke that Belichick was like a a teenager who got the credit, you know, signed up for the credit card in college and like, wait, I can just do whatever uh, I want with this because they had cap space for the first time. But 
like you have to spend it wisely. And what you just said, you watch the Patriots who on that offense, if you're an opposing defensive coordinator, I always think about it this way. It's, it's Monday night. It's Tuesday. You're game planning. What's my plan for player X in this game? play the Patriot. I mean, there's literally nobody you really have to worry about there. You can just be like, okay, we can play our stuff. You know, they, they have a competent quarterback. Their offensive line uh, can be pretty good. But in terms of those skill position players, you just don't have that. And compared to the teams you just mentioned, I mean, the Dolphins, you're going, all right, well, are we doubling Tyreek? Are we doubling Waddle? Where are they going to line up? They're moving those guys around. The Eagles now, I mean, the Eagles hadn't had this for a long time, but like A.J. Brown has just looked phenomenal. I mean, he's going to beat press coverage pretty much every week. And you mentioned it with Devontae Smith. I mean, I watched that game on Monday night and Devontae Smith against zone coverage. He just has such a great feel, such great instincts of, of knowing how to get to those open spaces, those open voids. Like if Devontae Smith were on the Chiefs or in a pass happy offense, like I was thinking even his rookie year. I mean, well, he would have had, what, 100 catches for 1,200 yards? The guy would have been totally going off. So he's in a run-first offense. But the point is, when you face teams like that, now you're putting defensive coordinators in a bind. And now you have to deal with Jalen Hurts as a runner, which is something you don't have to do every week. So when you're building out your offense, that's always the key to me. Like, I, I know it's, not, it's, it's easier said than done. Those guys don't just uh, grow on trees. But you need to have some reason for defensive coordinators to be concerned on a Monday night and a Tuesday when they're game planning for your team, stuff that they have to account for. And I would agree with you. The Patriots don't don't really have that at all right now. Yeah, I couldn't. Once I started checking the spending part of it again, too, I was like, you've got to be kidding. me." OK, let's talk a little Tom Brady. The deep throw numbers aren't great. Uh, maybe it's, you know, the first week back and then it's the Saints history, which is just very weird that this really yeah. good Tampa team since he's been down there has a, such a hard time. You know, you chalk it up maybe to divisional familiarity. Um, but he's had the second shortest time to throw on dropbacks, according to PFF. Um, but the actual fourth deepest average depth of target. Uh, but on those deep shots, although he had the huge one that was the game changer against the Saints this past Sunday, uh, the overall numbers are below a lot of other quarterbacks you would expect. And again, two weeks in, but the O-line problems, if there's ever been a quarterback that I've seen, and again, it's because I watched all those games, when I did care, uh, I've never seen anyone better at figuring out how to play around a struggling offensive line. I mean, that was that's of all the things Brady's great at. Yeah. The best thing he, he he's done is all right. What's my O lines? What are their capabilities this week? Oh, okay, they're struggling. I will now adapt to all of this and make it work. Um, and clearly, early on, it's been an issue. Yeah, I was looking at there's there's this stat called success rate where I like looking at it early in the season because it just basically looks at every play statistically. Was it a positive or a negative? So like you don't get weighed down by 50 yard plays or really negative plays. The Bucks offense is 31st in success rate through two weeks ahead of only the Giants, which I had to look at that like. 10 times to make sure I was seeing it right. So just on a play-to-play -play basis, they are not sustaining drives. They're not moving the football. I'll be honest, I feel like Brady's arm looks fantastic. Like I, I'm watching him, that, that touchdown he had last week, and it's just like, all right, Brady's not the problem here. It's the supporting cast. And it goes to what we just mentioned. I mean, supporting cast 
absolutely matters. And so they're on their third string left tackle. They're down three offensive linemen. Godwin was in, then he was out. Julio Jones was in, then he was out. Now Evans is going to be suspended. So uh, I was I was thinking like if Ro- if Gronkowski wanted to come back, I mean, he gets 17 targets this weekend uh, if he wanted to play. I don't know if he's going to come back or not, but they really, I just feel like need uh, some more weapons or guys to get healthy. And so I'm not overly concerned uh, about Brady right now. Uh, I think what you're saying is absolutely true. And he knows how to help that offensive line. His, his you know, drop back is going to be the same 95% of the time. That really helps offensive linemen. They know exactly where he's going to be. He gets rid of the ball quickly, but it's not dink and dunk. He's chucking it downfield with anticipation. So to me, this is just uh, like survive the first four or five, six weeks of the season for the Bucs and they've got a couple tough games coming up so they could be you know two and two or whatever but uh, once they get at least some of those receivers healthy and back from what I've seen from Brady it's like in this NFC uh, I think they're going to be okay I think there'll be weeks where the offensive line shows up and you'll go wow they're getting manhandled this week but overall I still have them as like one of the teams that'll be uh, left standing when we when we get to second third round of the playoffs what was your Super Bowl pick I had the Bills beating Tampa. I went, I know, I went chalk. It's boring. It's pathetic. But I was, I was looking for that sleeper in the NFC, and I couldn't, I couldn't get to one. And I picked the Bills in the spring, so I'm like, Are you, you're probably going to regret coming off this. So that's what I had. Has the public, whether it's media or whatever, has has the public ever picked the same team as much as we all picked the Bills to win the AFC? I don't even remember the last time I heard somebody pick someone other than Buffalo. Yeah. Yeah. It's and especially in the AFC, like you could pick five or six different teams in the AFC. I thought about the Chargers. I think I had the Chargers in the AFC championship. You game. and I love the Chargers. And I, yeah. And I that's was like, how the we Chiefs, met. but it's like, yeah, that's right. The, the Chiefs, it was like, you're not really, you know, people try to convince everyone they're going out on a limb picking the Chiefs. It's like, settle down. You're picking Mahomes and Reed. You're not really uh, going out there. So you would have needed to pick like the Ravens or the Bengals or somebody for me to really think that you were going out on a limb there. The NFC was where I thought, man, I need to find a team. Like I thought about the Niners. I thought about the Eagles. I said, I said, if I wasn't so close to this Eagles team, like if you put another, if this were like the Atlanta Falcons, but the same team as the Eagles, I might have picked them to go to the Super Bowl. But I'm like, I, I can't do that. You know, my dad, friends, they'll be like, you're cursing this team. Uh, how could you pick them to go to the Super Bowl? So I didn't want everyone around Philly to be mad at me and, and overhype their expectations. Yeah, I picked Green Bay, um, you know, whatever with Rodgers, even after week one. I was like, OK, you know, we'll we'll see what happens here. Uh, but I, I picked Buffalo like everybody else did, because it also felt right. You know, that disappointment in the Chiefs playoff game, yes. feeling like if the coin toss goes our way, can that be this driving thing? You know, maybe it's not quite as dramatic as the end of the Spurs heat thing. But, I, you know, some of these things get played out as motivational storylines. And sometimes they can just turn into fiction because it sounds cool. But I, the Spurs one was very real. Like they spent that whole next year pissed off. And that's how they went through the season. And they had redemption and they beat the Heat in the rematch. And so, again, the Bills Chiefs thing, not quite as dramatic as the Ray Allen three to turn a series at the very end of it. But I think that's another thing that we're all kind of buying into. And by the way, like just watching them and everyone can go default. Well, what about the health? Hell, they're already missing a couple guys in that Titans game. And I'm not exactly Captain Tennessee over here with the years. Like, I haven't been the biggest Titans fan, but it's still a good football team. It's well coached. There's talent. And they mauled them. I mean, that game, that score could have been worse. And you're watching it going, 
how does any sane person watch Buffalo play and go, no, I'll go, I'll, I'll pick somebody else? Knowing that, you know, there's a good chance we're all going to be wrong here. But based on what we're seeing and the depth and the lack of questions uh, and who Josh Allen has become, it, it's, it's, it almost feels impossible to watch them and then say, no, I want to pick a different team. Yeah, they can win in so many different ways. I mean, yeah. it's like, you know, the, the passing game is great, but if it's not working, he'll just make those second reaction plays and make something out of nothing. Defensively, you mentioned their corners have been totally banged up. I mean, they haven't gotten Tredavious White back. They just lost another corner last week, so they're not healthy there. They're so well coached defensively. I mean, they play a lot of zone coverage, and zone coverage is, hey, everyone kind of on a string, knowing what to do, moving together, recognizing those route concepts that you're going to see in a specific coverage, not leaving those huge voids in zone. And they just do that better than any defense in the NFL. And so they can rush with four with Von Miller. You know, you don't need to blitz a lot. I think they barely blitzed all this season. I think week one against the Rams, I don't think they blitzed one time against Matthew Stafford. And you would watch that game go and shoot. Stafford was under pressure the entire game. Like if you can do that, you're, you're going to have a shot. So you're right. I mean, it's two games in, so there'll be other AFC teams that come along and the Chiefs will look great. I think may, maybe the Chargers will. The Ravens, I know they lost last week, but I feel like Lamar, that was a fantastic game from him and their passing game was really clicking. So I think there'll be some ups and downs, but you look at the Bills' schedule and man, they, they look like they've got a pretty, pretty good path to get that number one seed. I'm glad you said that about Lamar. I thought that's one of the best games I've ever seen from him against Miami. Yeah. Because it was a combination of how he was beating Miami. It was the precision on some of the passing. Um, and that that game, that game's headline completely shifts from like an all, like every single thing you'd want from Lamar. You know, because I just felt like he was, I just felt like he was really in control of what he was doing the entire game. And I thought he was just really, really tight. And then all of a sudden, you know, your defense blows everything. They can't cover anybody. And now Baltimore's defense, you're starting to wonder, a carryover from the end of last year into this year. You know, I was looking at some of the defensive EPA stuff. I think week 16 or 17 of last year, it's one of the worst games they've ever had under Harbaugh. And then this game was arguably the worst defensive game they've ever had uh, in in a couple decades. So, uh, Shil, where can we read more of your stuff? Let everybody know, promote everything here so I don't get anything wrong. Yeah, writing uh, my picks against the spread every Thursday on The Ringer, which is really just kind of a league-wide thoughts every week of what's going on. If you're an Eagles fan, you can listen to the Ringer's Philly special twice a week. And then I'm on the uh, Ringer NFL show twice a week, Monday night with Ben Solak. And then Thursday, I uh, I bring a different guest to you. So uh, all all over the place on The Ringer. All right, cool. Yeah, when uh, the Flyers get going, I'd love to jump on. That's, that's right. We need you. Listen, I need an expert and it's not going to be me. So that sounds great. Thanks, you. All right. Take care. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip from free high speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs and more. Book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow you shine. Uh, really excited about this. Just saw him recently do some stand-up. Colin Quinn uh, is going to hang out with us for a little bit. So, Colin, I know normally the way these podcasts work. How are you doing, by the way? I want to say hello. So First of all, th- this is my favorite entrance into a podcast ever. Usually it's a half hour of nonsense. And this ga- this is great. I like it already. Just the fact that we're right in there. Um, all right, good. So what are you asking me now? 
Well, normally I know the guests would usually talk more and the host would kind of just tee you up. So maybe you shouldn't compliment me too soon. But I want to tell you a quick story. Uh, so August, go I go to Comedy Cellar, New York City. I go whenever I'm through town and I went to book the tickets and there's some bullshit thing that happens where it redirected me because it was sold out to like a different place a mile up, right? So I show oh. up with my phone. Yeah, I show up with my phone and the guy's like, dude, you booked it at the other place. It's like a mile away. I'm like, well, how long is it going to take? He's like, it's 20 minutes. You're going to miss the start of that show, whatever. I'm like, so what's the deal here? He goes, we're sold out. I was like, all right, this kind of sucks, man. Like, I'm not a total idiot. I booked tickets here before on my phone. Something happened. Like, what do I do? He's like, I don't know what to yeah. tell you. So I go around the corner. I'm thinking it all out. And then the dude comes up to me. He goes, hey, uh, he goes, I'll tell you what, if you give that guy money, <laughs> he's just going to let you in. I was like, okay, no problem. I was like, how much money? He's like, how much do you want to give me? And I was like, no, you got to come up with a number first. The guy's like 50 bucks. I was like, all right, I only got a hundred on me. And the guy's like, no problem. We'll take care of it. So <laughs> I walk in, it's all shady. I hand him the hundred bucks. They bring me down to the table. No one ever sees change again. <laughs> right, 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 right. Of course. They just, they just took my hundred bucks. So I'm pissed. I'm a little pissy and you don't want to be pissy at a comedy show. No, no. no. And this is where I bring you in. You showed up. You just kind of showed up. You crushed. You were workshopping some stuff. So it completely changed my mood. You saved my night. So I wanted to thank you for that. Oh. But I was, I was pissed off for about 15 minutes because I did get hustled. <laughs> my, my pleasure. That's great. Okay. That's really weird. How does that work though? Because I don't know that you were you scheduled. How does I love the this unknown yeah, thing I'm about comics? You are okay. Well, I'm always scheduled. Like How's I that? Call what's, take, what's that mean? That means I call up the booker Esty and I say I'm available. She goes, "Are you available this weekend?" I'm like, "Yes." Usually, I'm available most of the time, which is not flattering to me, but that's how it is. So then I just go in, and then she puts me in. She goes, "Come in like this time. You're on schedule." And I mean, you can Google it. It's it's on uh, the website. Where, but a lot of times people will cancel or some people will be surprise guests. You know, okay. and they'll show up. But I don't I, I don't show up surprised. It's on the schedule, you know. All right. So what you did do, though, is you brought notes with you and you just kind of told us, hey, I'm working on some stuff. And it yeah, crushed. It was, but it was I awesome because... You kind of like the first the first seven minutes you were talking basically about don't be your real self. And it was perfect. Right. Yeah. Well, that's my new thing. I'm glad you brought it up because that's what I've been working on now is personality. Like my new show is going to be personality about personality and right. what it means. You know, historically, I always like to bore the crowd with historical stuff. You know what I mean? So I, don't do I. A lot of sex I don't like. Yeah, I don't do a lot of sexual stuff. You know, you're, you're from Massachusetts. You understand. We don't talk about that kind of thing. So I talk about history and personality and what it means, dynamics and governmental and, you know, that kind of stuff. It's interesting. You know, once you once you start talking about once you start thinking in those in any terms that leads you down that path. Right. I mean, it's like sports. If you're thinking in terms of like today, I was I was watching uh, something to do with something to do with Yankee, the Yankees, Aaron Judge. Anyway, they're, they're players' wives because they're trying to market it to women, I feel like, all these sports. So they're focusing on the wives. So all the wives are on Instagram, hey, outside the stadium, having drinks together. And I could just imagine the publicists for the teams going, listen, will you guys have a drink together? We just want to put it on the MCD. You guys are friends like, well, not really. I don't know. And then just next thing you know, they're all 
but they like it too. You know, it gets them a little. Post. But it's just so interesting when you look at anything from any angle, because then you start delving into like I never think about the publicist on a sports team. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's interesting stuff too. Yeah, I think what was what I really liked is you just found and grant like sometimes with with comics or anybody you'd be like, hey, I had that thought or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but how did right. you execute it? How did you execute it? And you were just on this role of like nobody wants to actually know your real self. Like if you came right. home and somebody said, hey, right. how's your day? And then you ran through everything. If you actually gave people the real advice, like if you did a graduation speech where you just started with saying half of you will fail. Right, <laughs> like right. if you did the stuff that people think they want, nobody would actually, nobody would want what they were actually getting. Yeah, because real is jackass. It's rude and it's <laughs> jackass behavior. You know what I mean? And some of the biggest jackasses I've met in my life a long time is the people who go, I'm a straight shooter. I'm, I'm going to be real with you. And I go, hey, how about be real with you? Start with that. Then we'll worry about you being real with me. Be real with you first, yourself, you know? And um, so, yeah, it is kind of, an, but it's like anything else. You start thinking about it. You start going, oh, and all the things that are there, they start to be noticed. Once you focus in on a particular, whatever it is, you know? The, the other thing you did when you were, you were on stage is you kind of, caught yourself in a moment where it wasn't clicking and then you just oh, called yourself that, out that happens every night by the way <laughs> yeah but you called yourself uh, out yeah, you're like hold on and you go let me check my notes you checked yeah. your notes you're like i'm glad i checked my notes and then you crush for another two minutes to me that now you've been doing this for a long time but to yeah. me that's like the level that you get to where comfort becomes your biggest asset like what is it about once you are so comfortable that you don't even care and it actually makes you better at your job and certainly better as a comedian well, thanks, but I was always I was always uh, somebody that was used to like I expected a lot of bombing. Like that's part of comedy. If you really want to work new material, every job. I mean, you know, it, it's you have to be willing to really bomb a lot. You know, like that's it. Only it's in front of people. You know, they always go, you have to fail, but we fail right in front of everybody. It's kind of embarrassing, but you can't fail completely because people paid money to watch a show and laugh. But they have to accept that if you don't want to see the same thing. Every night, I can memorize my original act and just go up there. You have to let people, there has to be a little room for failure in there, you know? When you started out, I remember, you know, being in high school and the first time, you know, like, who's this guy in remote control? You know, like, man, he's, <laughs> he's funny. He just gives people shit the whole time. I and just smoked cigarettes. It was the best. I smoked cigarettes. <laughs> I was a chain smoker and they let me smoke on the air. But you, I've heard you tell the story that you became, I mean, here you're on MTV every day. You're on the show. Everybody, you know, we didn't have a ton of options. We're all watching and you were great on yeah. it, but you're a stand-up comedian. You know, you're a New York city guy and now you're going out to do these events. And did people were you, like, did, how weird was it? Cause you're still seeing yourself as a comic and they think you're the yes. smart ass from MTV. Yes. It was very weird. It was, a, it was, it was uncomfortable for all parties concerned, but you know, you just kind of go along with life. And, um, but yeah, I would get up there and do stand up. But luckily for me, this was right like 1988, 89. So stand up was still in a space where people were like, hey, somebody's doing stand up comedy. That's kind of interesting. Like, if I tried that now with my status, the whole audience is more stand up, uh, you know, uh, like knowledgeable. So they'd be like, wait a minute, what's going on? You know, if I was doing the material I was doing back then, like then it was still a novelty. So people weren't as uh, as aware. 
So they were just kind of enjoying, oh, this guy's crazy. He's doing stand-up. Now people like my cousins are stand-up. I did it for three years. That's what's he talking about. This, you know, so, so I got away with a lot more than I would have if it was a different, if there had been different cultures, you know. I heard you talk about Sandler once where you said it actually took him like a year, year and a half to figure out who he was. What does it mean when a comic's figuring out who he is or who she is? By the way, that's a great question. because To me, that's a great question because I was just thinking about it last night because I saw someone and I almost asked them, how long did it take you to become yourself? Because when you start stand up, you're sort of doing a character and you're trying to be funny and you're in certain areas, maybe not like the way I'm doing it right now, but you're pushing. It's like anything else in life. Like if, if, uh, if somebody's, if you're trying to meet some girl, you know, you're a young guy, you're going to meet a girl and you try to be like a cool guy instead of yourself. There's something off about it. You know what I mean? You can't pull it off. You're, you're being fake. What we talked about before, but a, but a bad kind of fake, you know, there's, and so with stand up, it's the same thing. You're up there trying to be like, yeah, I'm going to tell you people what's up, or I'm going to be the crazy guy, or I'm the funny guy, or I'm the guy that doesn't care. And then once you just really don't care, and you're yourself, and you're like, this is all I have. This is all I have, my personality. There's not more coming, and I'm working from me, and all my jokes, but you're not going to get like a magic, you know, it's not going to be John Wick, or whatever, you know what I mean? This is all I have then you can really be funny, you know? So I, uh, I don't know. I don't want to sound mean. Um, and it's not about you, so don't worry about it. Uh, where I know how hard it is, right? I know how hard like my job is or whenever I listen to people that are writers or directors, actors, actors, they're all super complimentary towards each other. And sometimes I might be in the car going, yeah, all right. I think you're overdoing a little bit. Like this person's all right. (laughs) But, but I think it's this mutual support because everyone that's in it knows how hard it actually is that you find yourself maybe being over supportive just because they're fighting the same fights you are career wise. Well, yeah. I mean, it's tribal too, like anything else where people are like, you don't, people are going to criticize because it's just, look, you're, you're this, every business, whether you're a cop or a nurse, everybody thinks they're going to tell you something that you don't know about your business. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if you go to a nurse, you go, hey, you guys should do this. They're like, they probably talk to each other and go, how about when they ask us why we do that? They don't understand what we studied in nursing for four years. They don't get it. You know what right. I mean? So it's the same thing with comedy where you're like, people don't understand. Like, if, like if, if it was up to the audience, who's the hacks and who's the good comedians, they would have a totally different opinion from us. You know what I mean? So that's the other reason you do it. We'll defend because you're like, okay, even if they're right on this one thing, I'm not going to get, plus it's in bad taste to, to talk about people you work with. You know what I mean? Like to, I mean, nowadays everything's revealed. I, I know it's a culture, but, but I'm just saying you don't go, you know, you don't go like, yeah, this person, cause you have access to them on a different level. So if I was going, yeah, this guy once said this, or, you know, she was doing comedy, but she was really, it's like, that's, you know, what kind of person is that too? You know what I mean? Okay, so that leads to this question. Can you be friends with another comedian that you think is really not funny? I mean, not close friends, but I can I can accept I mean, I can accept them, but I can't uh yeah, you can't be close friends because 
you know, you talk on the phone. If you're not, if you're not laughing, then, you know, that's, that's the way it is, you know? Yeah. That's what I, I mean, I would imagine that'd be really hard. You're like, you know, Dave's a really great guy, but God, I just, I don't get any of his material. And then let's, we, let's go do something this weekend. I just think it'd be really hard. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, well, it depends. Yeah, it depends. But yeah, in general, I would say, no, your friends are more people. You, you have to like what they're doing or else it's, it's hard to be around them. Because I always want to, I would like to be in charge of comedy anyway and just like tell everybody, listen, you have to go in this direction. But comedians don't like to be told what to do. That's why they became comedians. It's kind of a weird, so you can't, even with other comedians, if you give a comedian a great line for their act and it's perfect and you want to use it or they want to use it, even so, it still makes you upset because you're like, I don't want to use somebody else's act, joke. Even though it's for you, they only thought of it because they watched you. It still pisses you off when it works. You kind of hope it doesn't work, even though it's perfect. So you, how different is it from comedian to comedian about writers? Like Writers? Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, it's completely different. I mean, I'm like, I, I'm like a hoarder. I have so much... Like on my computer right here, and on and with notes, I'm like a psychotic. If you saw, if you saw my computer, you saw my notes, you'd be like, "He's crazy!" Like he's a hoarder. There's something wrong. So I write everything down. I'm, my phone, even my phone has hours of material. It's crazy. But then other people are like, oh, I write on stage. I'm like, oh, you know what I mean? Like I can't do like that. You know what I mean? What about writers you saw, for I'm you? Notes up. No, yeah. no, no writers. <laughs> You don't have no. any, but do, do, no. I mean, it's, it's just, I, I hope not. I mean, I don't think anybody is going to, anybody has writers. That, I mean, I guess they help them with stuff, but I mean, uh, I don't think they would have just writers writing like the old days when they would do like, just being a comedian back then, you just get a bunch of joke writers. Write jokes. It was great. All you do is perform. But I mean, uh, no, I feel like it's, it loses some of the, some of that magic, you know what I mean? If you're not doing it yourself, you, you, you don't feel it. You don't feel it. You don't feel it, you know? Well, what do I know? Maybe other people do, but I don't think they do, no. Uh, how much pride do you have in the fact that every comedian talks about you with real reverence, that you are like the comedian's favorite comedian? Because that's the scattering it's, report on you. Well, that's a great. It, it's to, I have total pride. Me and David Tell, by the way, they say. Um, David Tell, too. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it makes me... It makes me so happy. It's the it's the best part of my life in the business. Because the rest of the business, it, I wouldn't. I probably would. They probably wouldn't even have me. I'd be booted out years ago. It's only comedians are basically, you know, my salvation. So I mean, thank. Because here's the thing: when the comedians say he's great, then people in the industry can't fully ignore you because then they look like they don't know what they're talking about. Right, right. But then I, I imagine, too, like, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, we, we just met today, but, uh, you know, you're you're around so many people that have had a big movie or they've had all these different things. And you're like, hey, sure. this is cool. Everybody thinks like I'm the standard. Right. But damn. But, I, you know, I'd like my grownups. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, and of course, there's always you're always going to be the grass always green. You're always going to be envious of more people who have more money than you. I mean, I always am, you know. I'm like, what? I want my thing, you know what I mean? But that's not right. the way it shakes out. You got to you got to accept reality. But yeah, of course, I I feel like, hey, you know, I want that. But I feel uh, like, you know, that's how everybody feels, I guess, about something. 
Yeah, no, I mean, look, I think it's, that's just a completely honest answer. I'm surprised whenever somebody tries to convince me they think the other way. You know, like it doesn't mean you're rooting against people, but it means you're asking yourself no, questions. Just, yeah. Yeah, I'm greedy. I want things too. I, one time I was on a set with Adam Sandler. Now, forget I was just growing up. This is, we're doing some reshoot for growing up. And I look out, and I've known him since he was 17. I knew him when he first started, like I said, before he was even funny, before he found his funny thing, you know, and his real self, you know. And I was on the, we're, we're looking at this, and I'm on a hill with him doing some outdoor thing. And I looked down, and it was like one of those, like, you know, like, give us see, like, when Richard the Lionhearted brings his whole army and his caravans and his tents. It was that big and that impressive. And I was like, you son of a bitch. I go, look at this. This is all from you. <laughs> I mean, it had to be like millions of dollars. It's also a lot of pressure too. But I'm saying, but I go, look at this. This is all from you. I knew you when you were a little kid. So it's really interesting, like what he, you know what I mean? And people like that, you know, the Kevin Hart, whatever, that they, that they have this setup. Where these people, they're responsible for all, all this, these people and all that money too. So as great as it is, you know, it's a lot of pressure too. They have to deliver because this thing, you know, these all these people, they're we, making a living because of you. Can we person. do? Can we do? Because I want to get to some of the SNL stuff. Can you do? You know, again, I, I want to talk mostly about you, Colin. But like first impressions, first impressions on some of the people that came up with you, your generation. Is that cool? Um, sure. Like, so Sandler, first impression. Yeah. My first impression was that uh, he's like a little wise-ass kid. You know what I mean? Like, he's just, you know, he had his, he had his little friends to his credit. He's, those friends still work with him. He's loyal to them to this day. And I was like, you know, he's cocky. You know what I mean? He's, he's got a certain charisma, but then, you know, but I was like, nah, he's not really a great comedian. But a year, he went on the road by himself for a year. just. Did the dirty work, paid his dues while he was still in college. He went on the road and he came back and I go, oh boy, he's so funny. It's because he relaxed into himself. So before that, he was trying to be funny. He was 17. But when he was 18, he came back and he was just himself and he was so funny and charisma. And, you know, people kind of knew he had a star quality, but he was himself. He wasn't talking loud he was he was almost a quiet you know the the early sandler materialist if you see him on the early letterman he's like yeah so um yeah i uh he's talking really low and it's funny because it's him you know so that was my first impression of him yeah what about uh what about farley well farley i didn't i mean i i didn't know him like those guys knew him but i mm -hmm. mean he was such a i mean i uh, I mean, he was such a nice guy and such a, you know what I mean? Like, he was a guy that was like, I almost felt like when we hung out, he was just always like, I'm trying to do it, get it together. And I was like, ah, it, he was such a great guy. Like, like so, uh, that, and it was just, it was, you know, the last time I saw him was horrible, you know, oh, he was on the show and he just looked like it was, it all fell apart and he was just in a, panic state and he was never like a mean guy you know i'm sure he had plenty of episodes where he was mean being high but but he was just like it was it was terrible it was terrible to watch because he was clean for a long time people don't realize like he was clean for a few years 
like he was totally sober for a couple of years. And, uh, and then he went back out and that's when he died. But he was before that, he was like, he talked to me. He's still funny as anything. So funny. And so committed, like, you know, even when you watch all that YouTube stuff, like him in there, when Letterman <laughs> brings him out and he just goes down the aisle, grabbing people and doing flips, but he's not just trying to like, be like, Hey, like me. He's also likes people. So when he's grabbing the guy, you feel like he's not just using him as a prop. He's like a people person, you know? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. He would just grab people and it looked like yeah. the guy was having the worst time. But at the same time, it was like, I can't believe Chris Harley's grabbing me, you know? Yeah, he yeah, was just grabbing him to mess with him. He yeah. liked people, you know? Uh, the Spade thing, I think, is always kind of funny because every, every one of the guys from a certain generation all seemed to really like him. And I'd heard him in a different interview and they were asking about his background. He was like, well, I was a waiter and I was like a real pain in the ass. But he goes, I think I was actually, I, wait, he might have said busboy. He wasn't even a waiter. And then right. the, the people at the table would be like, hey, you know, it was some seafood restaurant. They were like, you know, what can you tell us about the shark? He's like, I have a deal with the sharks. You know, they don't eat me and I don't eat them. And, and then, then you get fired, right? Because the guy would be like, what's going on? And, and Spade tells yeah. the story. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm killing out there, right? It's like, right, I'm, right, right. And, and thinking of him being the exact same person all the time makes me laugh just having him tell the stories and it seems like you're pretty close because of the the snl stuff in there um but just some some thoughts on a guy that seems like a kind of a lifetime friend for you too well him and norm one of the best times of my life speaking to grown-ups who were in boston i was staying at that really nice mondrian hotel and so him and norm are there and it was one of the best summers of everybody's life sandler got everything together and we all all of us from Sandler to all of them, everybody says that was like the summer. It was such a beautiful time. We were laughing the whole summer and just, it was a good, but him and Norm back and forth. I mean, you want to do, I wish they'd done comedies together because Norm would be like, just randomly, like we'd be in Spade's room and then Norm would be like, Hey, and the, the door would ring and he's like, what happened? And the waiter would walk in with like five steaks and like all this expensive lobster. And Spade's like, what happened? You had the wrong room. I goes, Norm would go, no, I thought you wanted to order some food before you said you were hungry. And then he's like, Norm, I didn't. And he would just be like, Norm's like, well, you can't send the guy back now. He was just sitting there. And we just do stuff all the time, like this crazy over-the-top stuff. And Spade, you know, he's he's so funny at the throwaway where he's like muttering under his breath. And he once told me, because I was, he goes, I was a little guy, so I couldn't come right out and just insult the big jock guys i would have to say it under my breath and make all the girls and the guys on the sidelines laugh so that's his style developed by being small too and so he's very funny at that like throwaway like yeah that's great uh, and so that's that's why what makes him funny in my opinion is that he was the guy that was just when you think he's not saying it like instead of once again trying to compete with some in high school with some big jock he, went to, he grew up in arizona you know and he would just be like, okay, well, that's great. Like, and just sort of like underplay things. And that, and that's his nature anyway, but it was a, it, it suited him well, you know? So the SNL years, uh, mid nineties for you, I've heard you talk about it. I, uh, you know, I've read all the books and sure. whatever, um, because a lot of us from the outside, think, I cannot imagine how frustrating it is <laughs> to write something and have people constantly pass knowing that you're good enough to be here and then wondering like, wait, 
Is there some formula where it's, you know, like I'll just admit, like there's certain, there'll be certain TV shows that are on. And I go, who the fuck laughs at this stuff? Right. Right. But then I'll go, wait, this maybe isn't for me. You know, maybe I'm in this minority right. lane of, of right. what I think is funny. And then when right. you're a comic who kind of, you know, your angle on things, you're like, wait, is this just not, it's, does it need to be dumber? Does it need to be more for the masses? I can't imagine how frustrating that is as a young writer on that platform thinking like, hey, everybody out of my way, I'm ready to kick some ass. Oh, yeah. I'm, I mean, there's a lot of writers that got destroyed by that place, but it also teaches you so much because you're putting it up every week. Even if it's not getting on the show, you're at a read through with an audience every week. So a lot of writers got some good lessons. We get the lessons from stand-up, which is audience doesn't laugh. And then, so that's the beauty of stand-up is we get those lessons of like, hey, you wrote this thing, you think it's great, and the audience doesn't laugh. So that's what we learned. But for writers, that place was the best education. It was like, it was a boot camp because they're writing their sketches and then they're putting it on and going, this is funny. Their friends are laughing. And then they got to go in front of the jaded art department that's been there 25 years, the props, wardrobe, and everyone's sitting there and everybody wants to laugh. You're sitting there anyway. They're not trying not to laugh. You want to be entertained. You're stuck Wednesday afternoon, these stupid treats. Everyone's eating in those days. It was like Rice Krispie treats. And you just kind of not in the mood, but you have to sit through this 80 sketches. So if you get people laughing, you feel great. And if you don't, you got a good lesson, which is, you can't you can't even complain about like you said the audience because that was live. These people work with you. They want to laugh at every sketch. They want to be entertained that afternoon. So if they're not laughing, you got to go back to the drawing board. So it was very good in that way, you know. And uh, and obviously SNL. Look, we all have our complaints about what goes on and how could it not work. But it's the same. It's the same. Everything's the same. Like I look at the Knicks and I go, how could a team be? In New York, all these years, I was alive when the Knicks were great back in the seven in 1969. I, I listened to the championship on the radio and then the other one with Jerry Lucas like three years later. And so like, and I'm saying, how could the, how could the Jets for that matter? How could these teams be in the epicenter of all the biggest success in the world and be mediocre all these years? How can that be? But it's just. I don't understand what goes on behind the scenes. So if, if you explain, if I walked up to a coach and said, you know what the problem is? They're like, you don't know what you're talking about. We did that six times. You don't understand the way, well, we understand. So it's, you know, it's the same thing with, with shows like SNL, you know, it's, it's very frustrating. And we all look and go, they should have done more on my stuff. But, you know, that's part of the nature of life, you know. Do you have a story of just a sketch you wouldn't quit on? You just kept bringing it back. Oh, well, I have a few. I mean, I'm like everybody else. I was like, but one of my big, it's funny you said that because it was a sketch that me and this guy, Steve Higgins wrote, Steve Higgins. And it's called Uncle, it was about Buttermilk Pink. It was a, it was a voiceover guy who's like, hello, kids. Like one of those nice New Hampshire, Uncle John's Buttermilk Pancakes. The family, you know, you get these people. So basically the sketch was the guy comes in there. And they go, you ready for the voiceover? He's like, yes. Uncle John's buttermilk pancakes. And he's like, cut. And he goes, okay, hold on a second. And you see, he's in the booth doing the recording of this beautiful, just imagine a nice creek, a covered bridge. And he's got coke. He had a hooker in there. He's bleeding. He's crying. And he's, just, and he's going, God, all right, hold on. 
Okay. Hey, everybody. Uncle Joe, and he keeps going back to that. But his life, you know, with the hooker, he's fighting, and his blood coming out of his nose. It's just like this decadent, psychotic guy, but he's just voiceover guy doing it. So I don't know why, but we tried to do it with Robert Duvall, and he was offended. You know, he was like, like you know, he's like, what are you doing? You know, like, it was just this deviant sketch. And then, um, but anyway, so Duvall was offended. He wouldn't do it. But then Phil Hartman came, and he did it, and it was so funny and but i forget why it didn't get on the air but i think they were just afraid standards and practices was like you know in those days they'd be like could you lose the bloody nose and the hooker and it's like oh well you know what you just killed the sketch you know it had to keep increasing in decades so that was one that was mine that i was like very disappointed by but i'll tell you one that i didn't write this guy scott wainio wrote it and it was called remember when ben ben Stein had that you win Ben Stein's money. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So win Ben Stein's money. He had money. And that's the plot of the show was you play for his real money. Yeah. So this guy wrote a sketch called F. Ben Stein's wife. And it was basically, okay. <laughs> and he pl- and the, whoever played Ben Stein, I forget, deadpan, like Ben Stein talking like this. So monotone. And you get to sleep with my wife. And it was over here. And his wife said, why are you doing this, Ben? Why are you doing this to me? Because I can feel no emotion except when we do this. The genie's out of the bottle. I can't put it back in. So it was like this six kids. And, you know, a lot of times you'd read through, the people that would laugh at it would love it. And the other, like half would love it, half would be horrified by it. You know, just, you know, but it was just, you know, comedians always think everything, the more, the more insane it is, the more we think it's funny, you know. But that was another sketch I always remember that I wish it would have gone on the air. F. Benstein's wife. There's, there's got to be, you know, because you would read and be like, okay, this person was hired as a writer first, and then they became a player, and then you know, whatever featured yeah, and all yeah. these kind of different things. How how tough was that when there would be writers that would be in there for that reason? I mean, I remember being at ESPN, and that'd be like, why does this person take this job? And they thought it was going to like that's that's way more absurd than the SNL path. But you'd be like, do you think they're well, just one day going to tap you and be on the air? But I imagine there were writers that were there's just like, hey, you're actually just going to be a writer here. Well, that was I was there for that reason. I mean. Yeah, I no. was hired as a writer. I was hired as a writer. But my friends at the time kind of helped me and they were like weaseling me into the <laughs> So I really can't complain about it. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, of course, everybody wants that. Everybody wants, you know, the thing. I mean, but but the truth is the the it it does affect things. It shouldn't be that way, probably, because it does affect motives. Because it's the same thing with stand up. When you hire stand ups to write for a show, and I shouldn't say this, but we always have great stuff, in my opinion. But also, if something's really great, you're going to duck it for your acts. <laughs> at least I always did. I worked on Living Colors, right? I worked at SNL. I worked at a couple other things. And I was always like, wait a minute. That joke needs to be in my act. <laughs> if it's really good, I'm like giving it to them. And, you know, that's not fair. You get paid to give it to your best stuff. But, you know, I duck it down. All right. Last last couple last couple things here as we finish. I think. The thing that I would always look at with, with some of the sketches, I'd be like, it's just that hard to end it, right? On the right beat. Because a lot of times yeah. it would just be like, hey, just somebody fall on a fucking table and then we'll go to the next <laughs> sketch. <Yes. laughs> like, it's just yes. so hard. Look, it's hard to end scripts. It's hard to end finales for seven seasons of a TV show. You've got to come yeah. up with 50 landings or, you know, during, or you said 80 during yeah. pitch week, 15 maybe make yeah. it out, whatever. 
it's just so hard, uh-huh. man. It's just so hard. I stopped. Hey. I stopped going. Well, that wasn't a funny ending. I just stopped doing it because I was like, it's that hard. Just stop getting upset about it. Well, the problem. <laughs> I think the problem. Yeah, fall on the table is hilarious. That really is the only ending that ever you know is going to work. <laughs> and a lot of times, these sketches be so funny, and it all fit perfectly. But then the live crowd. And that live crowd is not right up front. Most of them are upstairs. So it's not a great room where everybody's vibing. You know what I mean? Like, you know what he's down says? There's some seating, but most of it's upstairs. So, and they're moving props around and sets. So to get that laugh, you almost have to have a commune. A commune. Uh, you have to be together with the audience. So I feel when you're doing any kind of comedy. So if they're not right there, then that last lot, you're right. Many sketches, what works with us, when they would read through, those things kill. People go, that's a perfect ending. But then something falls, and then it's just in dead air, and you're like, oh, just cut. You know what I mean? And it makes it, it's a, even though the rest of the sketch could be great, it kind of takes it away a little bit because people's last memory, you know? So, yeah, that's why there's a lot of table smashing. Yeah. A lot of table smashing. <laughs> but, well, and by uh, the way, Uncle John's, uh, Buttermilk pancakes, we had a big ending. Just imagine a guy in a booth, coked out of his guard. He's got blood coming out of his nose. I forget what the ending was, but it was some big ending that was even bigger than that. You know, either he shoots himself or I, I can't remember what it was, but it was pretty severe. <laughs> Wait, Robert Duvall didn't want to do that, then also shoot himself. We're like, we'll save this for selling. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the other thing. Anytime you save something for a host, you're like, I know the perfect host. I'm not putting it in this week. I'll save it for this one. It would always fail. Because you jinxed yourself. That host would just be like, I don't like that. You know what I mean? Or whatever it was, you know. Uh, who, was, who was your favorite host you ever had? Sting. Wow. Yeah. Is that because of your personal like preference of, yeah, of what he's he, done? Or? He, did, he did the sketch. He was just went along. He was funny in the sketch. And there was less pressure on him because he's a musician. So when he's good in something, like, hey, he's great. And he sang and just everybody Everybody loved him, by the way. Everybody, all the guys loved him. The girls, lo- everybody loved Sting that week. You know, they just loved him. I don't know. He's you should have been surprised. Guy. He's pretty good in Dune, the original Dune. Yeah. You know, so and and he was in and produced uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. I love that movie. Love that. Movie. Yeah. He remember he's in that at the end. I forgot about he's that part. Yeah. He's the bo- well. He was the producer. He's the reason it got made. And don't forget the other movie he was in. Uh, his first movie was The Face, uh, The Who. Uh, Doctor Who? <laughs> no, no. I'm kidding. I'm you know, kidding. The Who did, it's an old movie, but. um, I know there's know, a weird the one in are, there. You're right. I gotta, I'm got i going to have to go look the these kid. up again now. Yeah, uh, it was like, not the kids are all right, but it was one of those other movies like the, about the mods and the rockers trying The Who. Quadrophenia? Quadrophenia. He was in Quadrophenia. God, yeah, I wouldn't have remembered that at all. I just remember the, I mean, I remember the album or everything. Um, yeah. To to avoid our own table breaking here, I want to I wanna have, <laughs> you tell us about Cop Show on YouTube. I want you to promote everything you have and then, uh, you know, we get you. Have you seen Cop Show? I haven't. I just got the heads up for it now. So I'm I'll on be it. honest with you. Here's how I feel about Cop Show. Um, I feel like when you watch it, you're going to want to interview me again. Because Cobb Show is really funny. Well done. It's basically 
it's basically because I was never on Law and Order. I was never invited on Law and Order. I've been in New York this whole time. So I wrote my own Law and Order. So it's basically me doing Law and Order. It's like 24 episodes. Seinfeld's on it. Chris Rock, Jim Gaffigan, uh, everybody. Michael Che, Amy Schumer. Everybody's a guest star. But it's all seven, six minutes episode. It's painless. It's fast. But after you watch it, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, you're at least going to want to call me and talk to me. And I, can't, right. I can't say I blame you. I didn't want to lie to you since I just got the heads up on it. Uh, I'm on it. I'm going to watch it. We'll put the link to the interview behind it, too, as well. So it'll all Thanks. be there. And I just look, man, I just want to tell you that night was like a reminder of, of the great ones. And I don't want to take away from anybody else that was in the line for anything because there's some really good comics. Even the guy at the end, I think, was so high that he admitted he was so high and he started doing African <laughs> B impersonations, talking to each other, a father B and a daughter B. And he knew he was losing his mind. And luckily, it had been a really great lineup. So everybody was lubed up. There were oh. already two or three drinks. And it was such a weird experience because he was like, I can't believe I'm still fucking up here type of thing. And I. <laughs> But your your set was incredible, and it was awesome, and it kind of was like a full circle thing for me. So it means a lot to me that you came on the show, Colin. So thanks a well, lot. Well, th thank you so much. Thanks, Ryan. And I'm um, great talking to you, man. Before we get to life advice, we're getting to our FanDuel picks here. Make sure you check out FanDuel for all your same game parlays. And uh, it appears, uh, even though the show is red hot still now through a few weeks of college and pro football, that Saruti maybe isn't going to go hundred percent this season. <laughs> um, you knew as soon as you said, all I need is the Vikings to win tonight. And I've won another three leg parlay by adjusting the numbers around. As soon as you said it, everybody should have just hammered Eagles money line because you were so, <laughs> I'm not making fun of you, but you no, just, this, these are the laws. This is the way it works. Well, in my defense, that wasn't my pick. That was Kyle's pick. Yeah, uh, I wasn't going to correct you if, if nobody. I am oh, no, no big deal. You <laughs> won against Saruti. Oh, jeez, yeah. I can't, I can't keep track of the hotness. I'm sorry. So, Kyle, did you say all I need is this? And yeah, then was, and then I was like, and that should be no problem. And so, you know, that was that's yeah. exactly when. But I found a new a new secret. Just like Saruti has a secret, I have a secret now. You like, have uh, a dudes have secrets. I, got I a love new this. Secret, yeah. Okay. Uh, do we? Is it twenty two and four? No, we're we're five and one, <laughs> basically. No, 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 no. We're definitely better than five and one. That's actually no. inaccurate. Twenty-two no. and four is a joke that we were going to say every single week, but five and one is inaccurate. No, it is a hundred percent. Yeah, I'm the one who fucked it all up. So yeah, I'm the giving, one. Oh, on this part, yeah. But I'm saying I'm including some of the earlier picks that I had no. in the beginning of the year. Oh no, I'm telling you right now because all of our picks, like you, right. if you do a parlay, that's one pick. You know. If, if you know that I know so I, get, I'm aware of how yeah, so we've how only made we've right. only made three picks each. That's what I'm saying. We've only made six picks. He's saying outside of the segment, he's been saying stuff like for other. Oh, no, ads. you're just hot. Yeah, I haven't been yeah. paying attention to how those turned out. So if you have, I, I would trust you. Yeah, no, no, those the, that's that part isn't a joke. Uh, that part's <laughs> real. We don't. And I tried to correct Suri midway through it. He was so convinced I was wrong. He was just snow plowing <laughs> through me trying to be like, Starting no, no, we had to do other. We had no, to do we, other. Because you had people tweet at us about this. And I'm like, all right, yeah, we probably fucked that up. Because he might be doing the parlay thing. But all right, all right, my bad. I'm not counting. Are you fucking kidding me? Did I just get the <laughs> Listen, internet yesterday? I'm not counting the, the parlay. <laughs> I'm not going to argue about this anymore. But for anybody that thinks I actually thought a parlay when you hit it, it's like, oh, three and oh. <laughs> like that would be, that would be. Uh, I don't know. I'm not going to say another person's name, but I can already guess. All right. So um, why don't we go this way? Uh, sir, you can go first, Kyle, then I'll finish it up. All right. Uh, I'm going to go back to the well. As everyone knows, I've been doing alt spreads and alt totals. 
By the way, I had some people tweet at me last All night. They they got screwed because of that last touchdown. Um, yes. Listen, they're not. It's not going to be hundred percent. I'm not telling you it's going to be hundred percent, but we're definitely well over sixty, approaching seventy percent. So I'm going to go with the Buffalo Bills. Minus a half a point. So basically, the Bills just have to win all spread. And I'm going to take the under in that game against the Dolphins of 60 and a half points. That gets you about even money, minus 106. I, I don't know how that loses. Just saying. <laughs> there we go. Uh, the original line, uh, depending on where you're seeing it on FanDuel right now, I believe it's Bills minus five. Seen, I've seen it minus five and a half. All right. Mine is, um, my new secret is going to be that Carson Wentz is going to start start every game by losing and then going to lose, but it's going to come close. So I think that at least for one more week, I'm going to take the over in a commander's game. So it's going to be Washington, Philadelphia. I'm taking the over 47 and a half. And I think Philly's going to win. And when you put those together, it's plus 154. Okay, I like, I like it. it. Uh, some heavy public plays. Looking for those. Ravens, almost 80% of the bets against the Patriots laying two and a half or uh, a far more significant field goal at New England. Um, that's that's a tough one because all of a sudden it's going to be like, well, the Patriots may have found an identity here. Maybe that Ravens defense is a total mess. Maybe it ends up being a little bit like Tua against the Ravens could be Cam against the Seahawks with the Pats a couple years ago. Whoa, wait a minute. Does that mean Russell is not sold on Tua? Is that what he just hinted at? Uh, perhaps I'm just making an analogy. Uh, Bills, Dolphins, big public play on Buffalo. Not surprising. Uh, the Chiefs one that Saruti had mentioned earlier, uh, only 70% of the bets. I think all of us would have thought that was a little bit higher with how the Colts just look like a complete mess. Um, but that's not the one. I can't believe I'm doing this again this week, but this is the way we're doing it. 87% of the bets have been on Cincinnati at the New York Jets. Uh, the Jets are getting six and a half. I will take the Jets plus six and a half. So that means back-to-back weeks, I'm taking a heavy home dog against a Cincinnati team. Uh and I don't like it. I didn't like it last week. And not only did they cover, they won outright. So good luck. You can get all of this at sportsbook.fanduel.com. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice is lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. You guys still saying dot com a lot? I don't think there's a newer one, right? No, I just, you know, we don't run there. Remember dot TV was going to be the next thing? You guys, yeah. what that? was dot net? Was dot net something different or was it just like if, if lifeadvicerr.com was taken, you could just try dot net? Pretty much. I think. It's not like an edu or a dot gov. Like you don't have to be some sort of special thing. You could just have a dot net. I think you could. Remember Dunk.net? Shaq had that. How's that company doing? I'll Google it, see if it's still around. Yeah, Google to see if we get some shirts or something, some beanies. All right, moving on. Well, uh, that was the tech portion of the podcast today. Yeah, um, nope. You could buy Dunk.net right now if you want it huh. from a shady mm-hmm. company. Well, by the time we'll, we're done taping this, consider that domain purchased, folks. <laughs> Don't even bother. We're on it. Gentlemen, one of my younger brothers is getting married this fall. The bachelor party, uh, after some cabin in the woods camaraderie and tailgating, culminated with our crew of 14 guys walking into Lambeau Field on Sunday evening for Packers versus Bears. Jesus, that is a great... Like, hey, you think this train stops here? No, it doesn't. A couple more towns. Yonder. Our seats were all together in one row at the top of the bowl. Uh Uh-oh. And gall darn it, 
the whole stadium spread out before us as the national anthem ended. It felt like that flyover was just for us. Okay. <laughs> cool. I wasn't there for the flyover, so I don't know. Uh, you saw the game. We put the ball in Aaron Jones' hands despite some excitement. With that goal line stand, the Packers were in control. Okay, we got it. Anyway, um, late in the third quarter, some major action right in front of us. Here's what we were able to reconstruct. Two couples in the row right in front of us. Two separate couples, not two couples together. Blonde woman in a Jordy Nelson jersey with her man in a Bears jersey. Then a big dude with his, uh, with his feisty brunette girlfriend. Feisty brunette. We didn't see it start exactly, but for some reason, the two women were each other's faces because of the perception that one of the women was flirting with the other woman's man. Mm. Tail as old as time. Ain't it? Blonde Jordy Nelson's man leaves disgusted by it all. He told her, quote, you started this shit. Now you're just going to sit there? Coward move. Can't leave your woman like that. I agree. Now Feisty Brunette has direct access to her target and gets right in Blonde Jordy Nelson's face. The move where you put your face two inches from the other person's face and as you yell and move your arms all around with angry gestures so contact is imminent at any moment. Yeah, I think we know that move. Oddly, Feisty Brunette's boyfriend, who was an absolute tree trunk, was doing the weakest job I'd ever seen of holding back a five foot two woman. Uh, as somebody who's had to escort five foot two women out of a bar, it is not as easy as you think it is. Sneaky difficult. It's fucking really hard. They're wiry. Dexterity is high. Yeah. Well, with a guy, you know, every now and then we'd like put a guy in the door jam on accident. Yeah. Um, you're not going to do that. No nope. female. So you can't be as aggressive as you'd want to be. But. Uh, yeah, hardest, the hardest thing to get out of the bar ever is a five foot plus not five foot four. Maybe the five foot four or six foot guy reconsider after he hears this. He's like, <laughs> the power, the raw power she has. Had, had no idea that low center of gravity, some real, some real Reggie Fish type shit. Okay. All right. Uh, what am I talking about? Stay on target. <laughs> <laughs> so he's doing a terrible job of holding her back. She's five two. In full disclosure, blonde Jordan Nelson easily could have moved away. There was plenty of room or just left, but she was uh, holding her ground, almost asking for it. These women were on the verge. What should we have done here? Stand back, let the train wreck proceed, enjoy our front row seat for a lady on lady fisticuffs. Some in our group were cheering for that. And I will admit, part of me wanted to see it too. Or interfere, physically separate the women. This, of course, has its risks. Touching angry women we don't know in public, maybe getting one of them to turn on us, or worse yet, getting the feisty brunette's tree trunk boyfriend pissed at us. Was there another approach? Would love your take. Um, okay, time out. Before we answer this, there's no other ending here. We don't know what actually happened. These women were on the verge. Full stop. What should we have done here? So we don't know what happened. Did one beat the shit out of the other one? Like that's my I, guess is nothing happened. Yeah. And we're left to assume that uh, yeah. what was a really good email is a C. Now. It sounds like for future reference, should we do something? We didn't do something this time. Were we in the wrong? Talk about bad SNL endings. I mean, God. Well done, Kyle. Brought all the way around like John Mulaney. Yep. <laughs> I think you'll end up losing way more interactions getting involved with strangers than you will end up winning. Yeah. Um, I don't like watching the videos of people beating the shit out of each other and all the sucker punches anymore. I used to like watching it. I don't now. 
I don't know if that's just being older. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying you're wrong for watching it. I just think they're fucking really bad for the most part. Just dudes jumping in to kick the one person when it's clearly already over. And so uh, I've had moments where I've seen stuff happen where you're like, should I should I go in there? And it's like, what's going to happen? Like, there's a way better than 50% chance that you're going to get punched for trying to do anything to help somebody else out. Um, and then when you add in the female part of it, like, what are you going to do? Get physical with a female as a stranger trying to say that you were, you were trying to have peace. And then if the boyfriend or husband, like, they're not going to like that. And if they're drinking, they're definitely not going to like it. They're not going to be like, hey, cool, stranger. You pulled my girlfriend or wife away to keep the peace. Great job, row 26. Like, it just doesn't really work that way. So I'm not saying it's awesome watching people, um, have this stuff happen but you know look at all the videos there'll be the one guy who like stands up and puts his arm out he's got a hat on maybe like a dorset jersey and he's going like hey you guys calm down that guy always ends up covered in beer rubbing his forehead 45 seconds later in the video folded over the bleachers yeah kyle i think unless you're like a police officer or a fireman or a or a EMT or something like that. I think there's what nothing. What about a ninja? I think there's nothing. You, well, I'm thinking employment-wise. I think there's, uh, other than uh, that. Smart, okay. I think you, there's nothing wrong with just minding your own business. Unless there's like a person that's like literally getting beat to death and this is going. I think there's nothing wrong with just the defense of, I was minding my own business, dude. You know, I think, because I think you're right. Like, even if you are trying to get involved and and then now you're on world star and you accidentally mush this woman in the face by trying to stop it and it looks way worse than it was and now you're the guy in the dolphins jersey who like who the hell is this guy it was just two ravens fans fighting and now the dol this dolphin guy pushed this woman in the face by accident like there's just so many ways things go wrong you don't know who anybody is what kind of shit they know i think it's great to just just mind your own business yeah i mean clearly jordy nelson's significant other that guy he's probably seen this before and he just didn't want to deal with it anymore so i don't why does that become now your responsibility to to take care of this i you know i'm with you ryan like if it escalates to a point where like someone is like really in danger all right maybe but until that happens i i'm i'm just i'm sitting this one out yeah i don't it'd be great but nobody's gonna listen to you nobody's gonna listen to you you know doesn't mean you're sitting there cheering it all on by not doing anything but I don't know. When I watch these videos, the guys fighting each other in the stands at the stage of my life, like the last thing I would be doing is going, hey, I mean, you would have to, I would have to get married, have a kid, have that kid before be sitting next to me and then have something happen to that kid before I would try to go tornado style into that <laughs> right. mosh pit. You know, what's a sneak. So that's annoying. a lot. That's a long to do list is my point. Go ahead. You know, it's a sneaky, annoying move, though. And I, it sounds like she was kind of pulling off some some version of this when there's like a fight happening or an altercation or like there was recently an airport video with this happens in the NBA all the time where like somebody is just like sitting there going, I'm not touching you with their hands up there. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. But you're clearly like in their space and you are fucking with them. Like you're like, that's such a dick move. I, I hate that move. So it sounds like Jordy Nelson was maybe doing that where she's just like in her face where she's close enough, obviously, where maybe there's any contact, but you're clearly wanting to start some shit. The idea you to punch me. Yeah. Not a fan. Yeah. Not a fan. Cause you are instigating, even though you're like, Oh, I'm innocent. I'm not touching you. Like, you know, you, you're the instigator here. Yeah, Feisty Brunette is the one that did the I'm not touching you, I'm in your face. So there thing, you go, okay. By the, yeah. No, just, you know, in case there's any legal ramifications sure. from this. Uh, yeah, I don't like that one either. It's just, it's kind of like the, when somebody tweets something that's very obviously about a subject 
and then somebody calls them out for tweeting about that subject in a very vague way. And then somebody would be like, how did you get that out of that? And you're like, because I have a fucking brain that has oxygen. Like. I have context clues. Yeah. yeah. Be like, oh, how did you never said anything about that? How'd you land on that? You're like, because it's super fucking easy to tell exactly what you're doing. Yeah. You brought it up, dude. Okay. <laughs> Another <laughs> okay. reason to mind your own business on the internet right there. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Perfect. Okay, let's talk about money and how much money everybody makes. A little different, so I want to do this one. Salary transparency. Hello, Kyle. Hello, Saruti. Hello, Ryan. No problem. Uh, our guy's 29, New York City. Living it, man. Six feet. Oh, this guy's killing it. 186. Used to box in college a bit, but after neck and back problems combined with some wrist ligament issue. Like, Falling Jesus. Apart, dude. Yeah, you must have really boxed. So he's all taking the toll. He's got some more pronounced loved handles. Uh, I don't know why I went past tense there. Maybe because I want him to get rid of them. There you go. Boom. 186. That's border on skinny fat, man. Six feet, though. 188. 188. Six feet, 188. Love handles. That's kind of that's skinny fat. Honestly, I think skinny fat's the worst of all the body types. I know everybody talks about this dad bod shit. Cool. Yeah, no. Awesome. All right, we'll work on it. So, all right, let's move on. I've been fascinated with the recent trend of salary transparency across social media and more recently being written into law. Several states, including New York, now require companies to post salary ranges when they have a job listing. Okay, the job listing is far different than knowing what the dudes to your left and right make, right? So Correct. That's not a that's not a law. But right. when you get when you okay. when somebody gets hired though, right? I mean, you could be like, "Well, they that guy's know. making at All least right. eighty-five. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So I started a new job in May, and while I got a sixty-five percent salary increase, this guy's fucking mad about. You something. were making nothing before then. That's what that means, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's pretty. <laughs> that was. I remember I was making a, my first year at ESPN. Uh, I made a hundred dollars an hour, but a hundred dollars an hour for the time I was on the air. So if I did a three-hour show, I made three hundred dollars. That's fine. Whatever. It's I. I would have done it for free. They knew I would have done it for free. It's I, I was paid what I was worth and paid what I deserved. But it's a really, really low rate, especially when you're driving back and forth. And sometimes I get a hotel that I would pay for the first year on my own because if I had back-to-back shows, it just felt like I don't want to drive back and forth to Bristol. So after gas and the hotel, I may have been putting 100 bucks in my pocket. So the point of this is, is it was such a low rate that at one point, one of the assistant managers was like, hey, um, we're going to bump you up because they knew it was bad. And I was like, okay, cool what what are you going to bump me up to? And he was like $125 an hour. And I was like, oh, okay. And you're just, you know. Can you get a gas card? We're going <laughs> like, to say, hey, well, I'm going back to local markets, brother. Yeah. See you guys later, Bristol. Like, you're just going to say yes to it the whole time. And I think you could tell that there was some slight disappointment because you get called in an office when you don't even ask for a raise. It's like, hey, do you want a raise? I'm like, yeah, I'd like a raise. I'm like, what is it? You would have been better off just asking for one. And he's like, hey. He goes, you just got yourself a 25% raise, mister. So yeah, percentages can be misleading, and you're right, Kyle. To call it out, sixty five percent bump. That's like interns. He was an intern a couple of months ago. Uh, twenty nine. <laughs> yeah, maybe twenty nine. He was he was probably making something, unless there's some bonus structure. Yeah. You know, I don't know exactly. All right. So anyway, I love not talking about the email today. I'm worried. I may have even undercut myself a bit. First world problems, I know. All right, yeah, he's aware. Okay, cool. Now I'm trying to use the new salary transparency information out there to gauge whether or not I should try to ask for a bump to meet my perceived market value. Anyway, curious of the three of your thoughts on salary transparency. Obviously, unless it's public knowledge, nobody would expect you to share yours on the airwaves. Um, But if a friend or colleague asked you about yours, 
or a vague range of what you make, would you share? Critics of salary transparency say if you could weaken productivity or say it could weaken productivity across the board when people find out they make less than others and could lower morale, uh, it could also lead to pay flattening and then distort the relationship between pay and performance. Thanks for all you do. Okay. Uh, a couple different theories on this one. Um, before I jump into it, just on the critics of it all, usually the critics of salary transparency are the people that hand out the salaries because they don't want you to know that this person's making all of this to the person that isn't making as much. That's usually where... The, now, the person that's going to go, oh, wait, that person makes that much? I'm going to start sucking at this job now. Uh, yes, there are per- people that are wired there uh, that way. I think there's other people that are wired. They're like, fuck this. I'm going to start working harder. Maybe that group is smaller than the previous group. But the problem that I would have is the uncertainty with the lack of salary transparency, just the rumors that go around any place anyone's ever worked with multiple people all making different levels of money. That shit's already bumming people out, whether they know it or not. The guessing game can lead to a lack of <laughs> lack of pro- uh, productivity. So. Um, where are you on this, Kyle? And then you, Steve, and then I'll probably tell a story that goes way too long after. So friends, I'll tell any of my friends that I don't work with what I make. They they want to know. I got no problem with that. Uh, at at work. How much do you make? <laughs> well, hang out with me. Maybe you'll get the answer. Yeah, good uh, answer. Comedy story. I had, I had, you're quick today, man. I expected you to say, well, I can't do that. And I was like, I guess we're not friends. But you jumped me. <laughs> You jumped me on the punchline. Yeah. So well done. Yeah, well, Hats it's off a, it's to a big you, joke but... now. So yeah, let's, well, who cares? No, I, so, you, uh... you're, you're just so <laughs> locked in today. I might just hang up and let you guys do the rest of it. Uh, so then there was, you know, there was five people, none of which who are now at my place of employment anymore, who I would share my, we would take, oh, what are you making now? Oh, what are you doing? How long you been? Blah, blah, blah. But, and everyone else, nobody would ever ask me that I work with now. And there's nobody I would ask. So um, I'm back to kind of square one. But yeah, there was a few people that well, yeah we talked about, like, well, what's going on with you? What do you think she makes? I don't know. You haven't asked her? No, I'll never ask her either. But so I'm now at the point where there's no one that I would ask and no one would ask me. But there was a time when I had like five people that we would regularly bitch and moan. Isn't there a company that does this now? Isn't it called like Fishbowl or something? Glassdoor? Where you can literally, I don't know. Something like, yeah, where you just go in and- Dot I mean, net? I, I don't know if, yeah, dot net, definitely. Uh, super official. Uh, I am, I've never done it. I feel incredibly uncomfortable doing things like that. It's probably to my own detriment. It's not good. I've talked about this before. I'm a terrible networker as well. Like I just don't do things that are probably good for my career because I'm like a little bit scared, I guess. I don't know. I just, I don't like the awkward conversation of that. So I'm, you know, do you, if you're comfortable like asking around or seeing what's up, then I, by all means, I mean, some of your coworkers might be kind of like offended and weirded out by it, but I've never been cool with that. So I would say I, I'm I'm just going to be like, Hey, this is my salary. And if it sucks, it sucks. My bad. I was big on it with on-air people, all of us telling each other how much we made. I thought it was important. I thought it helped all of us. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call it a union, but I, I just thought it made more sense. Like, hey, if we all kind of know where everybody else is at, the problem is when somebody ends up destroying everybody else in the salary, then they don't want to tell anybody because then it like leads to different things. Uh, I usually had a pretty good gauge, but I would also tell somebody. If somebody asked me like, hey, um, I'm, I'm offered this much. What do you think? Sometimes I go, yeah, that's probably pretty good. Or sometimes I'd say, I would fucking make sure you don't leave the office today and get that. Or I'd go, there's, that's a pretty bad offer. I would be like, you know, but again, your, your answer to your offers is far different than what I perceive. Um, you know, whatever somebody else is making. Like when I was at ESPN, I knew there was like a collection of, of, of salaries that once I kind of found out about them, like towards the end, I just went, Hey, this person's double me. This person's triple than me. I mean, you know, 
And it was just met with the person on the other side of the desk just kind of shrugs and goes, yeah, sorry, dude. And I was like, well, cool. I'm fucking out of here. And that was kind of it for me because it was like I was still being offered a salary to stick around. But I was just like, okay, I can't. I can't now continue to do this because it is starting to bother me. Although my dumb ass would just work harder. (laughs) You know, I'd be like, oh, this is happening. Well, watch. I'm going to do this. But when people would ask me how much I made on the radio side that were on air, I would tell them. Like, hey, I'm in a negotiation. I'm doing this, whatever. Like when Canel was going through his thing, I'm like, well, I'm about here. And then you make that what for TV. So to make up the difference, probably to keep us around, like this is probably where I think they'll, they'll come at you. And this is, this is how much they'll offer. And I think that's probably fair if you bake it all in. And then a lot of what's fair, or what isn't is, do you plan on being at this place where there are long-term goals that are actually obtainable and it's worth all the bullshit in the beginning, which, you know, for, for my career is definitely the case. So I think transparency can be a great tool for a lot of people, like maybe in your group. Um, I wouldn't post it on Instagram, but if you think it helps everybody kind of understand how it works uh, and you can be professional about it, but I don't know. I think, I think it's hard to not have it get personal at some point. So some people can't do it. Like I remember there was one person that was asking me, I got offered a college game day. Uh, that was the radio show that was seven hours, but really it was like a four day commitment because I'd fly out Thursday, do the show Thursday or do fly out Thursday, do the show Friday with Van Pelt, and then do a seven hour radio show on Saturday. And then I fly back to Connecticut on Sunday, hopefully in time to watch enough of the NFL games to be back for the show on Monday. I made $1,500 for that show in 2008 where I was at. I'm like, even then I was like, this number sucks, but I wanted the show. I wanted to travel. And I wanted to try to show that I could do something a little bit more on my own out of Scott's shadow, but I still did it for six years and they never changed the rate. And then somebody else was coming up and they go, Hey, how much did you get for that show? I go, I'm going to tell you right now, I get 1500. I haven't done well on the contract stuff here. Um, you should try to get more. Maybe you'll have a little bit more juice. Maybe you don't need it. I needed it at the time. So maybe if you don't need it, you'll get paid a little bit more, but I would tell that person because I thought it was helpful to them. I thought it was helpful to somebody else in the industry, even though I wasn't really close to this person. And then actually the irony of that was I found out that person was a total piece of shit and started telling everybody how much he hated me. And here I was like, I'd never done anything to the person. And I was going out of my way to be like, I make $1,500 for that show, that show you don't make a ton of money on. And then later on, somebody was like, hey, you shouldn't do that person any favors. Like that person hates you. I was like, oh. I was like, what? It was just jealous because I'm getting better opportunities. Yes, was the answer. So the advice but, for this guy is like, know who you can talk to this about. Like, I wouldn't like you. You pretty much know at this point who you can or can't talk to this. Talk to about. It's this. great point, Kyle. Great point, Kyle. I, again, this is one of the best podcasts you've ever done. You're right. That's the point. Is share it with the people you want to share. Now, somebody's still probably going to burn you. There's going to be somebody in that group that maybe doesn't like you that much. But if that means you're getting a little information or more information than you had before then that kind of works. Like, I'd ask you this, like, are you mad that you're not getting every single last dollar that you think you should get based on some other comps that you've heard? Well, if you do that game, then you're going to be wasting a ton of time in your entire career because you're always, there's always going to be somebody else that's just making a little bit more that you think you're worth more than. And you might be right. And there's also a chance that you're wrong because it's just the way we see things through our own lens. So if you're worried about getting every single last dollar, uh, I would say put effort into something else. Whereas if you're getting destroyed, even with a 65% raise and you're finding out like, wait, I actually got killed on all this. Well, you know, it, 
you'll have to find out the right time for you to make that play. But the critic on the transparency thing, the people above you are always going to tell you not to say anything because they don't want to deal with it. They're not thinking about you. They're not thinking about you. It's actually a pretty insulting thing that'll happen where somebody will say, hey, you know, make sure you don't tell anybody how much you're making because, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. It's like, that's not the reason. The only reason is you don't want to have to deal with it. You don't want me to tell somebody, so then it leads to a conversation that you don't want to deal with. So it's actually about you. It's not about you doing me any kind of favor as the person making the money. So I think there is real value to it. But as Kyle said, you have to be a little careful. You know, don't make up T-shirts and start handing them out everywhere. Try not to let finding out other people's numbers drive you crazy because you're always going to hear another number that bums you out no matter where you work or what industry that you're in. But no one ever sharing anything or never, you know, Having zero information, having zero intel, that's not exactly helpful for you to try to figure out what you're worth as you stay in whatever field you're in. Yeah, I think if you're wondering if you can tell this person, you probably shouldn't. But if you pretty much know, then you can't talk to them about it. I think if you got to pick your candidates a little bit carefully, it's not just like asking, what are you doing this weekend? So I think if you're not sure, I wouldn't, I, I'd try to go to talk to, if, at least try talking to one person, talk to the one person that you know you could probably talk to about. Like if you're, if it's a 50-50, it's a coin flip, I'd say maybe, maybe that's not a great icebreaker. It's also way easier when you're underpaid. And for, you know, a good chunk of the ESPN stuff, in the beginning, you know, whatever I made is what I made. And I was desperate to work there. And I don't, I don't blame anyone for taking advantage of that situation. You know, I'm, I'm 30 years old starting out. I've been in local for three years. You know, they played it the way they played it. And that's the way everybody else would play it. And there's a real, you know, breaking, breaking in period in, in my industry where it's like, hey, a lot of the stuff is going to suck. Like I made 12, 25, 25, 38. Uh, yeah, those are the first four salaries for four, four annual salaries I had. 26, 27, 28, 29. And then 30, 30 years old. Um, you know, I made a little bit more but not a ton, but I was driving back and forth to, to Bristol nonstop for the next three years. Um, so when I have those numbers and I tell somebody else, again, you know, this isn't yesterday, um, but it's not the 70s. Um, it can help inform other people on how they want to make decisions. What happens is, is I was, I was okay with it because I felt like for a long time, like I know I'm making way less than other people. Um, when you're at the position, and I've never been this position, when you're making way more than everybody else, then maybe you're probably a little less likely to share. But I don't have that perspective. So, okay, that's Life Advice. LifeAdviceRR at gmail.com. The Ryan Rosillo Podcast, Ringer Spotify. Please subscribe. We'll be back Monday. A lot of good stuff coming up. Please uh, stay locked in. Thanks. Have a good weekend.